You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I am here with Apes of the State our favorite TikTok heroes. Would you say that's accurate? <laughs> sure. Pope punk's TikTok heroes. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I haven't been on TikTok for too long, so it's hard to claim that title, but yeah. Well, I guess there's Tony and Gravel who like turned a lot of people onto folk punk on TikTok. And folk punk dad. Don't forget folk punk dad. So, okay. So let's start there. This is actually, I think, kind of an interesting question. I feel like folk punk is having sort of a revival in part due to TikTok. Do you also feel this way? Yeah, I definitely think so. It's funny because there's like, and I feel like it's like this with every scene. There's almost like two different scenes going on. There's the TikTok scene and then there's like the in real life scene, right? So we got a lot of active bands that are touring and that are doing really good, but don't have a presence on TikTok like at all, really. Um, and then we have bands that are pretty much only have a presence on TikTok and they're really well known on there. Right. Uh, what I'm also seeing is that people are discovering the genre through TikTok, through those people that are on TikTok creating content using the folk punk hashtag, like calling the genre by name. Um, they're making more people aware of it. And of course, that turns into more people going to the shows in real life and everything. I think that's a really good point. That sort of distinction between the Internet scene and the actual scene is something, it's weird how that works. How do you turn the TikTok stuff into real stuff or does it just happen organically for you? Well, so like my experience with being part of an active music scene came before TikTok. Like we've sure. been a band for over yeah, seven so years. Yeah, so talk about this. We've, right. So we built our following. Like nowadays using TikTok, it's perfectly feasible for you to build a following online and then go out and do your first tours and actually be playing to people. Whereas like we started before TikTok. Yeah. You use the internet a little bit, but like Facebook and Instagram, they weren't really good for building um, fan bases like TikTok is. It's like not the same thing. Um, And uh, we had to like build our fan, our fan base through touring, like just busting ass touring, um, playing shows to like 10 people, 20 people, sometimes nobody all across the United States. And then like now I think it's awesome that I see kids on TikTok that like 
Um, like for example, everybody's worried about Owen. That's like a folk punk kid that is on TikTok that has like a lot of traction. They have a lot of listeners and like, they just went on on their first ever tour and they're playing to people. Like there's like 20 or 30 people or 40 people at every show. Like, I'm like, yo, that's so cool. Because when we, when we first started playing, that wasn't our experience. But, um, you said, how do you make the distinction between like the online and the real life is that you just got to get out and actually make the real life stuff happen too. Like you got to go out and play. And ultimately the only thing that's going to fill the rooms at your shows is the reputation that your shows are good, that your live shows are good. Cause yeah. you can have so many thousands of people listen to you online, but that doesn't mean those people are going to show up to go to your shows. If you have no reputation for your shows being good. And I think you've done a really good job of cultivating that both with like the live clips where you're posting either very crazy or very silly moments from your performances, but even just like the photos, like I even, I had been familiar with your work and then kind of your TikToks made me dig back in. And even like your Spotify header pick where you're just like headbanging is immediately engaging. You know, the way you tell that story and kind of communicate to people, our shows are sick. You need to be there. Where do you see, so I guess as a part of that, where do you see the show promotion piece going next? Like if you can already play to 40 people just from TikTok, I don't know. How are you trying to like get more people to come out now that you play to 100 people? I use a lot of ads. I run a lot of targeted yeah. ads for our shows because we do have like the whole, we've been on Facebook for like seven years. So we have a lot of fans on there and we can do the like targeting on meta where we target like, specific regions where we're playing and we target like our fans and then the lookalike audience of that region. So that's one way. Um, that's I super found, important. Nobody realizes yeah. that. And you know, a lot of DIY bands don't do that because they think you need like a ton of money or something or like expertise, but it's really not that hard. I mean, it's, it's easy to mess it up and not do it right, but it's not that hard to figure out. I figured it all out over the years running ads. Yeah. Another thing is like just, just being on top of posting your, your tour dates on Bands in Town and Songkick, a lot of bands neglect to do that, but that's that shows up on your Spotify profile. Um, I just made a video on that yesterday, just showing like how, how easy it is and like that it just... Now when people find you, they could see that you're going to be playing in their city. Another thing is... So we got all the promotion on that end. It's just like, yeah, like showing people through like visual videos and picture that like the shows are fun. Like, you know, because nobody wants to go to a show that's boring. And honestly, that's the reputation that a lot of folk punk shows have is that it's just like somebody sitting there with an acoustic guitar and it's like, it's kind of boring or whatever. But yeah, I mean, when you could show people that like people are dancing and having fun at the show, that's like, that's a different story. So. Well, because what I've seen is kids will, kids will see Apes of the State is coming to town on a flyer or whatever. And then they'll go look at Apes of the State on TikTok for like a highlight reel, right? And trying to see like what the band has posted or what other random people have posted to be like, is this going to suck or not? Which, right? which, you know, for kind of my generation, people would look at YouTube, but this is just the accelerated version of that, which I think is kind of nifty. Um, I think on the ad point, what people don't realize is that like in any given city, there aren't that many Johnny Hobo fans, for example. Right. So it only takes like 20 bucks to hit literally all of them twice. Right. Would you say that's your experience? Yeah, I throw like every every tour date when we announce a tour, I throw like 20 bucks at it. 
whether yeah. it be like 10 when we first announce. And then like, I look at the ticket sales, like in the month leading up to the show and I'm like, all right, this one's going low. This one's like low ticket sales. I'll throw another 10 or 15 bucks at it. And I just like curate it from there. And, um, I mean, I see, like, I can see the results that it, it leads to people clicking the link. Yeah. So I know it works. And people, my favorite is just like when people show up at merch and they're like, I came here because of an ad. I feel kind of dorky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, that was the plan, man. Right. Do you get that a lot? <laughs> um, You know, I don't get a lot of people that show up. You know, I found the biggest thing and I ask online. I always... Every once in a while, I poll our fans, how did you find our music? Because I'm always interested, obviously, because sure. I'm trying to promote our music best I can. Sure. And like the number one way is always word of mouth. All right. Number yeah. two is always Spotify. But number one is still always word of mouth. My friend told me to listen to you. My friend brought me to the show when you came through town, even though I didn't know you. Like I always have people coming up to me and saying, I had never heard of your music my friend dragged me here tonight and like, I'm sold. Like that was awesome. So I, I think like the word of mouth is still like really, really, really important. And like, like I said before, the only way you get that word of mouth is by having the reputation that your shows are good. You know, yeah. there's well, a lot of bands that like, I don't actively listen to, but I hear their live shows are insane. Like um, gel is one of them. Like I've tried, sure. I don't like listen to hardcore really. I like going to hardcore shows, but I don't listen to hardcore really. So like a band I probably wouldn't listen to passively, but like their shows look insane online from the footage I see and just like the reputation of people saying their shows are great. Like you can bet I'm going to catch them live when they come near me. I saw them a few weeks ago. It was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I see that as like a huge piece of the success of like a Squela grind. Um, where like my girlfriend finally watched live footage of, you know, this band who's been my preoccupying thought for three years and was like, how does the front person not fall apart headbanging so hard? But like, <laughs> that's what you got to do. Yeah, um, exactly. So I want to hit you back, though, on that word of mouth piece. Because I feel like part of it is having that reputation. But I feel like another part of it is sort of the community build. Because I feel like you're right that a big piece of the word of mouth is... Bro, I saw this band in town last time and it was tight. You need to go. But I feel like another piece is the, hey, do you want to come see my friends in Apes of the State? Oh, yeah. And like having like just having that one on one connection with as many people as possible. Um, And obviously the music needs to be good to kind of make people want to brag about that one on one connection. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Do you see do you see those like that hand-to-hand combat piece impacting it oh yeah absolutely like just a simple thing that i do is i answer every dm i get on every social platform and like i know so many bands don't do that like they just don't even look at their inbox but like if you tag apes in something or you dm me and say hey i really like this song of yours like i just throw everybody a hey oh that's awesome thanks for listening like i just message people back And so many times people reply back and they're like, wow, I can't believe you answered me. Right. And then now they have that personal connection with me because we had we had a conversation. Right. Absolutely. And the thing I think that's like really interesting about that right now is that like because social media isn't really like 
when you and I started using it, it was like you posted on Facebook and your actual friends replied. Right. And now it's just like you and I in particular are both like TV characters who people sort mm-hmm. of like parasocially interact with in a way. Right. Uh, the fact that you actually do that personal thing is like so much more powerful. Right. And I, you know, I didn't really think of it that way until I heard you say that, that that social media shift happened. But like something I've always done is when we first when I first made our band accounts on our Facebook. I mean, I don't even use my personal Facebook anymore. I literally only use the band account, but um, our Instagram account, I only ever used it like it was like my personal account. Right. Because people are following it because they want to follow you. So like I would just post a lot of things on there that were updates of like just things that were going on in my life. And then sometime like last because I feel like that shift started happening like within the last two years or so. I started shifting and like noticing that was a theme and I switched to mostly posting content that like I felt like people would make people like laugh or that they just want to engage. Like I noticed what I wanted to engage with on social media shifted like I was no longer using it to follow my friends. Um, I was using it to follow like meme pages or like just uh, music industry advice or like things that made me laugh or like were uplifting. So I shifted to creating that kind of content because I was like, well, that's what I want to see on my on social media. So I'm assuming that other people probably want to see the same kind of stuff. And when I made that shift, like, oh, my God, our numbers on everything increased drastically just because I was simply putting the content out there that people wanted to see. Right. But you got to maintain the human element, which is simply just like responding to stuff, you know, and still engaging with people. Like I have conversations in our in our um, comment section with people and I respond to videos other people post like that's where the human element comes into it, you know. 100 percent. And I think for me, it's like I think the other piece is sort of the what that does is it proves you're that person in the scene. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, so much of it is like, because again, there's like all these people who just kind of view you as like this parasocial weird, you know? And I think for me, it's like, if motherfuckers are showing up saying they've met you or they feel mm-hmm. like they, like, cause again, no one else is staying social. So as long as you stay social, you're moving the needle. Right. And that's, that's something that I, like I was saying, I think bands do wrong with their social media is that they try to be overly like professional on it. And 100%. Then that like community um, aspect of it where you like, like I said, I've always used our accounts as if they were just like my personal one. So I use it to interact with people on a personal level. Um, yeah. And that's what's missing when you go to like a band's Instagram page and it's just like live shot after live shot, like professional photo and there's nothing like real there that people can connect with and grasp to and like interact with. That's, you know, that's the, that's what's lacking in a lot of band social media presence. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even just like a direct talking to the camera video is just so, especially the way you do it, where you're like literally out, like walking dogs, not like wearing a ton of makeup and just like wearing a normal band shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like that's just like, oh, okay, this is like a real person who matters rather than some illusion. Right. And it's tough because like grow it like I'm 33. So I was on the Internet and using the Internet before the like, just like video of you talking into the camera was a thing that we did on social media. Like we didn't do that. Yes. And I saw it as like weird and hard to do. 
I think I seen I, I think I seen a video that you posted where you said if you're not used to being on camera like that, just like put a camera in front of you and practice doing it a lot. Right. Cause then you get better at it over time. Um, and like, it definitely was like weird at first. Like you see like these millennial paws versus the like Gen Z shake thing. Like I honestly, like, I love I've that you that know about that. Yeah, no, but I seen that kind of stuff on TikTok. Like in my earlier videos, I would post a video where I would like pause and then I would start talking and somebody commented and they were like, Oh, your millennial pause is cute. I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that. I look it up. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me try this like Gen Z shake thing. And like those simple little things brought so many more viewers to my video. I was like, okay, there is validity to this, you know? Can you explain the millennial pause real fast to people? Oh, the millennial pause is like, it's our tendency of people that like grew up with cameras that needed a second to start recording. We, We usually tend to start recording, pause, and then start talking. Whereas like the Gen Z shake is like, you start recording, and then you set your phone up and then you start talking like so there's movement right away when you start the video because the movement draws people in and keeps them watching. Whereas if you're just like standing there and not t- or sitting there and not talking when you first watch the video, like you only have like the first second to catch somebody's attention or they're going to scroll past you. So like that movement helps them. But like that kind of stuff is also why I think like TikTok is even though like everybody's like, oh, TikTok is like ruining the people's brains. I think it is the most like human like like uh like social media that there ever has been because instead of you just seeing a bunch of static images on our instagram or something i text that i post on facebook you see the person and i notice that if i get into disagreements with people on tiktok we and then we make like video replies like we like usually apologize and like work it out whereas on other social media like it just turns into like an 18 paragraph like thread of arguing you know yeah 100 percent. that's because it, it reminds you uh, that we're humans to see each other's faces i feel the same way i also feel like tiktok is like especially for sort of like the the broadly punk scene you know i have a lot of bands who blew up their tiktok purely by like posting sick live shots all the time or live videos all the time and it's like isn't that what you wanted for like a hardcore band to blow up like you don't want a hardcore band to blow up because they took all these aesthetic photos you want a hardcore band to blow up because hate five six filmed it and it was dope and it went viral mm-hmm. do you know what i mean <laughs> and yeah to me tiktok feels like the ideal it feels like you're either very real and confident or sorry brah and i think that people hate it because they just hate the future which like is fair Right. That's all it is. It is. It it is just like a kind of boomer mentality of being like, oh, I don't want to learn. And I'm not even going to lie. Like, I didn't learn how to use TikTok for a long time. Like, I I downloaded the app in 2020 during quarantine. I was like, yo, this actually I was actually telling mad people back then, join TikTok, join TikTok, because there was like no folk punk on here yet. Yeah. And I remember I noticed that when a new app pops up or like a new thing, when there's a new technology, new app, and there's that sweet spot when something first is coming coming out and there's not a lot of users on it yet and there's not a lot of people creating content. If you can start creating content on there and using the full punk hashtag, like you're the first one, you're going to have so much easier time. You're not going to be cutting through any noise. You're going to be like the only person, right? I use this same um, mentality like when Spotify, like, in 2016, 2017, that started becoming like how 
most people listen to music and most people discovered music. And I noticed at that time that there was like no folk punk on Spotify. So yeah. I, what I did at that time was I made a big master playlist that I still run that was called DIY folk punk, like takeover. And it had the word folk punk in the title. So if you search folk punk, like my playlist popped up really fast. Right. I remember that so playlist. Be- That's really cool. Cause right. I listened so that because of that work, like that was how pretty much we gained like 90% of our fan base. Like, yeah, we did the touring, we did all that, but like most of our fan base is from Spotify and it's from that early work where we like really capitalized on there not being a lot of oversaturation on Spotify at the time. So like I saw that happening with TikTok. I was like, I bet if we could all get on TikTok right now, we can like take over this platform and we could all just like be the folk punk people of TikTok. And I like encourage a lot of people to join it. But ultimately, like I didn't have the time or desire to learn a new app. And I wish I had because it would have been so much easier than what I'm doing now, which is like trying to build a following, you know, three years later on TikTok. But um, I, so I understand the mentality of like not wanting to learn a new social media. It's an it's but if you want to keep up, that's what you got to do. And, and the other big thing is like our music does have a younger fan base and the younger fans are not using Facebook and they're not using Instagram. So really the only way you're going to reach them is through using TikTok. And like, I noticed since I use it, since I started using TikTok, like our audience of like that 18 to like early twenties demographic is like, it's increasing. Whereas previously it was like all people in their thirties and late twenties that were listening to us. hundred percent. And they like, okay. So now we're getting into like my arch thesis of TikTok because I kind of had a similar experience to you where I, didn't want to learn it uh, until I was just quarantined in London during COVID. And the way I learned it was my little sister, who's three years younger than me, but like spiritually much younger, kind of like held me, held my, well, she's the appropriate age and I'm secretly 50. So she kind of like held my hand through it. I don't know how I would have done it without her. But I feel like, so a sort of male- people over like 26 talk shit about TikTok because it's the first social platform they've had to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas like people over 45 talk shit about social media in general, because they had to learn social media, you know, right. Like the not digital native generation. But I also feel like TikTok is like the only reason you see like young people at like rock shows now, like rock in the broadest sense from folk punk to gel type hardcore to like i was the youngest guy at st vitus bar which is the metal bar in brooklyn for people listening who don't know um Mm -hmm. up until i was like 25 or 24 i guess when the pandemic happened i was like the youngest guy by like a lot and Mm -hmm. now it's all young people and i was like when did girls in college start coming here what the fuck (laughs) like it's cool but it's also just like i remember like it was like me and a bunch of people over 30 (laughs) and I feel like TikTok is like the thing that like turned people on to like, oh, there's actually this scene for this music you might have heard of. Right. Because it's hard when you're younger. It's hard to like get into an underground music scene. Like, I feel like that's something people do in their 20s when they're in like college or they're living in like a college town or they're going to bars often is like they'll play in bands and they'll have basement shows and things like that. But like as a younger person, you're not plugged into that social scene so you can't find underground shows right whereas tiktok showed these kids and like it's kind of funny when i first started posting on tiktok like last summer 
when I first started really using it, I would just like post like footage of like a, a DIY show happening and like people would watch it and be like, wow, how do I find out about things like this? Like they literally didn't know basement shows existed because yeah. they're kids. Um, yeah. And they didn't know shows outside of like a stadium or like a huge venue existed where it's like just literally showing people it exists is like is the biggest part is like, yeah. I was going to say that's one of the biggest things I've been I get asked about with Bacon Spits. I try to be like. So I started going to shows at basements when I was like 15 and now all those people are kind of famous and we, we all do stuff together. <laughs> and it's like, that's the comment is like, how do I find those basement shows? And so I think it's so cool that you like showcase that for people and just like going just to like have fun because basement shows are cool. How do you encourage people to find basement shows? Um, I just tell people to follow active bands in their area. Like that's the, that's, that's the way you find out about stuff is I follow active bands in your scene because ultimately when you're a small touring band, what you do is you hit up bands in cities and those people throw shows for you, people in other bands and they're throwing shows at their houses or the small DIY spots or whatever it is. So like having connections with local musicians is your ticket to the smaller basement shows. And so then how do you personally April build those connections? Oh, I just hit them up. Like, I mean, nowadays we're like, so we're like moving past the level of like DIY um, where I'm booking our own shows because we're kind of like peaking at that level. Like literally the last two tours we did, we sold out like the last tour we did, we sold out five of the eight shows, um, all DIY spots that were like 200 cap or less. So like at that point, you can't really play a basement show anymore. You can't really book the DIY show. Like we're moving into like a little bit of bigger rooms. But when I first started booking shows, like what I would do, and you could still do this, um, I would just go on Bandcamp and I would search for the city tags for um, bands that sounded similar to us. Like I would look for like folk punk or just punk and then I would hit like Minneapolis and it would pop up a bunch of profiles of bands that were active in Minneapolis that were playing in the punk scene. And then I would just stalk their socials and like listen to them and be like, is this a good fit? Cool. And then I would just hit a bunch of those bands up and be like, hey, we're trying to come through Minneapolis. Are you interested in setting up a show with us? That's basically how to do it. Very well said. I think yeah. everyone was like so scared to like reach out to random people, but like everyone just wants to kind of play cool shows and make friends. The worst that could happen is that they just say no or don't answer the email. So <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and it's like it's funny to me because like you turn basically, from what I understand, you turn basically that approach into like now you're going to go on tour in Australia. Yeah, just making friends with people. I, I mean, I, I just watched a video you posted earlier where you were like, you have to like actually be friendly to be successful. And it's true, like just not being like just being friendly, right? Um, helping other bands out when they want to come through my city. Like we did this for years, seven years of touring and helping bands play my city. Like not every band. I can't help every band, of course, but like a couple a year, right? A couple of handfuls a year, like, you get you do me a favor when you're in, we're in your city and then I do you one when we're in mine. And that's all it comes down to. And like you could do that worldwide. Yeah, 100 percent. I just it's it's just funny, dude, because it's like especially with the bacon spit stuff, like I'll meet people where it's like, you know, you don't have to be entirely self-serving all the time if all you want to do is play club shows in front of 50 people. <laughs> Realize that this goal is a lot easier when there's 50 people who like you. <laughs> right and i mean that like it comes down to that too like i there's bands that i will play with that i will support and push and go see anytime that i 
see them playing near me live that I don't even necessarily like their music. I just do it because they're good people and I like them as people. <laughs> like, it just makes it so much easier to support bands if the, if the people are likable in addition to the music. Like the music is just one part of it for me. For sure. And then it becomes like part of the hang, you know, and it becomes mm -hmm. part of the like, like I'm going to a show tonight just because like, I don't really care about the bands, but like the kid who booked it is like a big Bacon Spitz fan, like wanted my advice. And she seems like a real like, oh God, she seems like a real go-getter. That's my mm -hmm. old guy phrase of the day. <laughs> but like, I don't know, like that's what you do sometimes. It's just about, just about building that hang and building that community. Right. And especially when you're talking about like niche genres, like folk punk yeah. or like the metal community, it's like, we're all going to be seeing each other. If you're trying to be an active band, we're not going to escape each other <laughs> at all. So like, you might as well get along and hang. Like if I see a folk punk show coming through my, my city or within a couple miles of here like i'm going just even if i don't know who they are just because i'm like oh you're in a folk punk band i'm in a folk punk band like let's let's support each other so on sort of a final note with that you know apes of the state kind of came up at sort of the peak of the philly music scene you know like modern baseball had sort of like had this moment uh there was a bunch of other crazy stuff going on around uh the community at that time you know, I lived there for a minute during that time. Do you feel you really benefited from that? Or was that just sort of incidental? So we're not from Philly. We're from Lancaster. We're from Lancaster. Yeah. But do you, but I know yeah. that regionally it was happening or do you, did you just not? Philly, like what goes on in the Philly music scene really doesn't have any effect on okay. what's going on. It's like kind of completely separate. Like we, we really had to build our own thing. And like right now my drummer lives in Philly. So we have more Philly roots than we ever really did. And like literally within the last year or year and a half is the only time like I know how everybody jokes that Philly is like notoriously hard to book a show in. it's like one of the hardest cities to like crack when it comes to, you know, being an outsider playing shows like we There's totally not a ton of good venues. Right. We totally experienced that still as only being an hour and a half away. Like we were outsiders to Philly. Now I could book a show pretty easily in Philly because our reputation, like people know the show will bring like 200 people out so that we'll, we'll have an easier time booking Philly. But yeah, like we're not really, we were like outsiders to the scene there. And um, yeah, I didn't feel like anything that went on in the Philly music scene had an effect on us. Like we didn't benefit from it. We really had to build like and grind from scratch here in, in Lancaster gotcha. and build a scene here. Um, and we did that just by making friends with other people that were playing this kind of music like regionally. And throwing shows mm -hmm. here and um, just supporting each other. Yeah. Just meeting other weird people. Mm -hmm. Is there anything I should be asking you that we didn't get to? I would like to talk about like your views on like, uh, like labels and the relevance in like this era, because that's like something I, I have a lot of strong opinions on that okay. I like to rant about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, let's get into this. I actually, I did want to talk to you about this. I'm I'm excited. Okay. So. Yeah, let's go. I mean, for the record, this podcast is funded by a label, but like, whatever, like, people are more interested in hearing these takes. So how do you want to start? I, I have an idea of where I want to go, but you, you you kick this off. So I saw you posted a video like not too long ago where you said that like, labels are going to be the only path to success for like 90% of musicians or something similar to that. Yeah. So I just I don't agree with that. Okay. I think you can, especially now more than ever, you could do your DIY your way like really, really far. And then like my view on on really hiring, like I see label as like hiring outside help. 
Like I view it as like a higher situation because ultimately you're exchanging money for services, right? And the way I view any type of higher situation is to not do it until it's necessary and you can't do, do it yourself anymore. So like the same with like getting a booking agent, like, like I said, I've for years booked our own shows. I've literally booked us to the point where we're peaking at the DIY venues that I have the ability to book and we're selling them out. So now we need to get into the 300 cap rooms. And once you're in that territory, like unless you have an agent that knows the promoter and you know how all this goes, you're not going to get in those rooms. So like I hired the help with a label, like ultimately, like what I see a label as is somebody that's going to promote you. Um, they're going to promote your releases. They're going to budget some marketing and they're going to produce your physical copies for you. And they're going to mail them out and front that money. Right. And they're going to recoup it. And like, I've never found a situation where I couldn't do all of that myself and fund it myself along the way. So like, I just don't see it as something that's needed now to hire. What I want is other bands to know that that is doable by yourself. And like, once you get to a point where it's not doable by yourself, like one day I might be like, oh, I can't mail a thousand vinyl records from my house out this week. I don't have the time, you know, I'm touring, I'm doing so much other stuff. Then sure, I would sign a label deal and have them deal with it. But like, until we get to that point, I don't see the point. And the biggest mistake I see bands make is signing too early and then regretting it because they're not making enough money off their music. And then they can't sustain being a touring musician because it gets tiring and it burns you out and then they just burn out and quit okay uh a lot of good points there couple counter arguments and i think some of it is also like specific to certain scenes you know like i feel like folk punk in particular has a much stronger diy aesthetic for a lot of that stuff oh for sure um you know i feel like the first thing that i always kind of say beyond anything else because i do agree that like most of it you can do yourself assuming you're willing to put the time in which a lot of people are mm -hmm. not yeah right and i think that's the big caveat is like a lot of people like don't get like like they just don't want to put those man hours in or person hours in you know what i mean because like i know that when you put out a record like you're like doing it right and that's a lot of time and energy the other thing that i think you don't get is distribution right and i think that so like with escuela for just use that as an example we went out like we went inside with Monarch Heavy, which is, you know, owned by mm -hmm. BlackRock. So, so they're just pouring all this money into our very queer power violence band, which I think is kind of funny. Um, but like the distribution piece was huge for them because what happens is that when we put out this record, they'd only been to Europe once. But then, you know, the distributor goes out and buys or like some so third party store goes out and buys 10 Escuela LPs and then bam, we're on that person's email list to their grindcore and death metal people. Mm -hmm. And if that happens like 50 times across 50 cool stores in Europe, shit, brother, that's a really good promo look. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think there's that piece that I think is really valuable. So you're talking about like distribution, like getting your, your physical copies into stores? yeah okay or even like if you go to like if you get into like one of the big euro stores like digitally it might be on consignment but they're still like promoting it like they're still going to do an email mm -hmm. blast that's like new death metal in the store and then you know what i mean like because 
or even like Capra, who are smaller than a squeal, have never been to Europe, they're going for the first time this summer. You know, like they sold a ton of copies out there in a way that just wouldn't have happened without having a team out there. You know, if that's your goal, if that's the right goal to have, I think there we might have some friction. Right. And I see that, you know, I've considered that too, because like our friends Pigeon Pit, they uh, they have like a label situation going for their physical copies and their CDs are in stores because of that. And I was like, that's pretty cool. But then when I thought about it, like, I mean, we've sold thousands of copies of our CDs and vinyl without having them ever been in stores. And like I do, I supply like regionally and locally. I send like if a store wants to buy our vinyl, I just distribute them there. But like ultimately I see I know people buy physical copies of music and I'm, and I love that they do, but I see that as something that's not going to keep increasing in practice over time. I think it's going to continue to decrease in practice and like more people are buying online than ever in physical stores. Like record stores are closing everywhere. It sucks. I don't think it's good, but it's happening. Um, For sure. So like ultimately I don't want to base like the money that we make, by saving ourselves that 50% or that 20% that the label would take by putting us in stores. Like, I don't, I see it as like an even trade-off. No, I think that's reasonable. Quickly on a pigeon pit note, I want to point out that I really love that their Spotify header is like them eating sandwiches. Is that, I haven't looked at it recently, but I, I, yeah, that's, that sounds about them. I went to listen to them the other day because of you. And I was like, that's so dumb. I love it so much. So I admire them so much because literally they're the most offline band ever. Like she has zero internet presence. She makes like a single post on Instagram when she drops something or is going to go on tour and that's it. It's like pulling teeth to get her to do any promotion for anything, but like puts out great fucking music, has a cult following and like the, her fans do the work for her with promoting her online. Like her fans made her viral on TikTok. Her fans promote the songs like she doesn't need to do any of the work. It's it's awesome. I admire it so much because I've had the complete opposite experience with music. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you know, the other label thing. And I this is something that I like genuinely don't know enough about folk punk to know if this would even help. But I feel like having that seal of approval is really huge for a lot of bands, uh, just in terms of like. Like, I have a band who I manage on a Sony subsidiary, and they've never played a show, but they have this incredible record. They played one show. They have this incredible record and whatever. And, like, I'm able to, like, get them in real conversations with agents because they're on this label, you know? And, like, I feel... So, again, like, I think I admire you, and I think you're right that, like, you can do all this stuff on your own. I just think a lot of people don't want to or want to kind of, like, take that use the label as like a a jump which like and they also don't have the funds quite frankly right it's just that my biggest my biggest thing with it is that at the end of the day i very rarely ever see bands signed to labels and it does boost them as much as they think it will like i think a lot of people have the impression that signing to a label is going to blow them up and like you still got to do a ton of work to do that anyway and like it doesn't just signing and doesn't do it you know and I know you Absolutely. know this because you're always talking about promoting yourself and, you know, ads and all this kind of stuff. And like a lot of the time, the labels don't do that kind of stuff anymore. They expect you to do that anyway. And then they just sign you and deal with the physical release or they take some of your streaming royalties. And it's like, ultimately, 
you're still putting in the work. So why did you sign off half of your money? 100%. And like, there definitely is a piece of like, oh, what if I sign to a label and you get like a shitty project manager? Mm-hmm. Then like, you're just like, I've seen that happen to bands and they're just, they're boned. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, you got stuck with the new guy who's going to get fired after we put out your album. And I definitely think that's a piece of it that's, you know, tricky to confront, right? Is this idea that, like, when you sign to a label, this is, like, probably too honest, but whatever. When you sign to a label, your project is everything you've worked on for the last two, three years or whatever. Or as for them, it's another fucking album they have to work on with another fucking artist. And it's one of six that they're doing on that day. Right. And unless you've proven to them that you're going to make them money, they're not going to yeah. care about it or work hard for you, you know? And that's all it comes down to. Like, I've always thought that, and this is my mentality too with like press and things like that. Like, I've never hired a PR agent, I've never like sought press because I always just figured that if people wanted to do interviews with me, they would see something I was doing that they admired and they would reach out. I wouldn't have to you know, send a thousand emails out to try to get somebody to write something about me. And like, hey, I'm on this podcast with you right now, right? Because you saw my videos and saw something in me. So you reached out to me to do it, right? Yeah. And that's what it comes down to is like, unless you prove yourself, unless you prove that you could bring people out to the shows, that that venue is not going to book you, that promoter is not going to book you. Unless you prove that you can sell records and make money, that agent you know, that that label is not going to want to sign you. And until you, you know, do things that are press worthy, press is not going to want to write about you. <laughs> I agree. And I think that a lot of money is wasted in that, like, desperation. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, I definitely see a lot of people, like, dropping a fuck ton of money on press when it's like, bro, why'd you spend $3,000 on a PR campaign when you're, like not you you know what i mean like well the other thing of that is like i can't remember the last time i listened to a band because i read an article about them i listen to bands because i find their music on tiktok or spotify or like some other way i don't so like it's not going to build you fans i I think press is for bands that are already established that have fans that want to deep dive into stuff and read interviews I think a lot of people, like, lower-level people who hire press have this, like, image of it of, like, oh, why do this? And then someone's going to do, like, a deep interview with me in Consequence of Sound the way they did for my favorite artist in the genre. And it's, like, well, you don't get that deep interview with Consequence of Sound until, like, album three of being successful. Right. And I noticed this early on, like, when I first dropped our album, like, and I did have some people write articles and things like that. On Bandcamp, you could see the sources for how people get to your Bandcamp page. And like, I would see the links there and it would have the article that, you know, somebody posted and it would like, it would, so you can see how many people actually click my music from this article. And it would just be like, I don't know, a small handful, one or two, three people. So I was like, all right, so I spent all this time seeking out three clicks when I could spend that time, you know, having a better live show making connections using social media to actually build fans that are going to actually listen to my music instead of worrying about like seeking press for three clicks 
It just makes sense. That's like the thing people don't get is like the ideal piece of content you can give an outlet, right? Is like a premiere, but like premieres, like most labels I work with and most like higher level PR people I work with have kind of like quit that because you spent all this time to get a premiere that's going to get like at best a hundred plays. Mm-hmm. When like, if you spent that same time getting you on like three playlists, right? One playlist. Like if you get on, that's what like people don't get is like, if you get on like the right playlist in your genre and can just stay there for five plays a day. Like I have, ba- I have a band who has like three of those. And he's been getting like 15 plays a day from these three playlists for like two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to build your something. fans faster than anything else. Yeah, like he gets a premiere, you know, for the same amount of time or whatever. That's one day for some SoundCloud streams. Right. <laughs> Which like, And people, something that I think people in bands neglect to do is think about, think about, as think as a music listener. Don't think yeah. as a person in a band because we make that mistake yeah. a lot. And like, like I said, I can't remember the last time I listened to a band because I read an article. So that's what I asked myself. Why am I finding these bands? Why am I listening to these bands? And then that's how I try to target our stuff. That's how I use our social media. Like I want to go see gel play live. Cause I saw those videos I listened to that band because I was listening to another band on Spotify that sounded like them and it popped up in my radio. So like, how do I get on more radio? That's the kind of questions you got to ask yourself. And like, we also like tend to think as a band in like, this is another detrimental thing that was in the DIY scene. It's starting to die out, but uh, the embracing of Spotify was very, very like hard. Nobody wanted to do that in DIY. Everybody was really anti-Spotify. Like they literally gaslit me, told me I was fucking crazy, that I was a capitalist, all this shit just for putting my music on Spotify and promoting it on Spotify. This is like years ago, you know, before TikTok, all that. But like now, can you imagine a world where Spotify didn't dominate like the music industry like it does? Like, come on, if you're not on Spotify, nobody's going to listen to your shit. But like as people in bands, we always think Bandcamp, Bandcamp, Bandcamp's great. But like people don't use Bandcamp. Music listeners don't use Bandcamp like bands do. I think the biggest people that use Bandcamp is people in bands. Like I listen to music on Bandcamp because I know what Bandcamp is because I'm in a band. But like your average music listener, if you go poll 100 people on the street, none of them have heard what Bandcamp is. 100%. So like people put too much emphasis on certain things like that. Like they'll put emphasis on like promoting the Bandcamp. Where in reality, you're not thinking like a music listener when you when you do that, because there's a lot of reasons why people don't listen to music on Bandcamp. And it's because mostly the user interface isn't great, you know? Yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about that and just like I'll like spend time like quizzing people about that. Like even I remember I was sitting with my younger cousins at a campfire and I just remember like like I doing marketing research because I like when was the next time I was going to be able to talk to an eight year old about like how they discover culture. <laughs> and like, that's what we did. It was like, oh, because, yeah, this is nobody wants to ask those questions. Everyone wants to just I don't fucking know. But yeah, so to circle back on the label thing, broadly, I agree with you and get where you're coming from. I just also think that a most people don't want to do the work, which is justifiable, I think. B, most people don't have the money or the organizational capacity, Mm -hmm. right? Because like putting out 
you know this putting out an lp you're starting with like especially now it's like four thousand dollars and like 50 hours of work to do it right oh yeah absolutely i took out credit cards to put our last lp out yeah i used a zero apr credit card and paid it back within a couple months but uh everybody thinks i'm crazy when i say that i do that (laughs) i mean i don't think it's crazy no, uh, people that are like that uh, that are a little financially like literate don't think I'm crazy. They're like, "Wow, that's actually a good idea. You probably got a lot of like cash back points and, you know, whatever." But people that are like don't really have good financial skills yeah. are like, "That's the worst thing you could ever do. Don't do that. Like you're going to be in debt the, the forever ca- and it's going to be horrible." And I'm like, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> the cash back points thing is like my secret hack. That's like Oh yeah, that's what I use for touring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The bands I manage like know I do this, but like one of the secret like tricks to like get a little more value for me out of them is I just throw everything they do on my credit card. Right. And then they pay me because I have like the because like I have a company that like makes a bunch of money. So I just have a fuck off limit. And it's like, great. Now yep. my girlfriend and I are going to have a really nice vacation. Yep. And that's like the arguments I literally get into Twitter on Twitter with people that are like, you're crazy for like putting you know, all this shit on credit cards and then just paying it off. And I'm like, that's what your label's doing. <laughs> your label is doing that too. <laughs> like, motherfucker, I'm trying to buy a house. The fact that I'm like, you know, putting like five figures on a credit card every month helps me do that. Right. Yeah, but I think, no, and I think you're right. I think like, and I really admire the uh, business savvy that you bring to the table with a lot of that stuff. And your understandings of that stuff is really cool to me and you do it in a really smart way that I think is like, I wish more people understood. Well, I talk to people like you, I talk to industry people. Like I learned that stuff from people that do this for a living, you know, hundred percent. obviously my experience too, but like, and I do see it as like a point of pride almost where I'm like totally independent. Right. And like yeah. now at this point, like, cause we've gotten as big as we are that way. I'm almost like, all right, now it's just a competition. <laughs> That's oh, I'm, not, I'm not giving up, you know, but like, I, I still make friends with people that are in the industry and talk to them about this kind of stuff because like you learn a lot. In our relationship, there's still like ways for me to help you without you having to sign a record deal exactly like you could hire i always try to tell people this you could hire somebody to do ads like i plan on hiring you the next time we put our album a new album out because i bet you could do a better job at that stuff than me and i'd rather throw like a couple grand at somebody that can really do that well right and i could do that without signing a label deal you could hire like a la carte services from people in pr and all different you know things without having to have a whole label deal And even just to circle back on the distribution thing, which I was harping on, like there are ways to get that assuming there is demand for your music. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is like the other thing, right. Is like, you've kind of like gotten to the other side where like now there's demand. So now you could come to me and I could be like, and I could go to my partners and be like, okay, well like these people will probably sell like 1500 units in Europe. So we should just do that and they'll give us a cut. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and they'll just call it their own label or however you run the apes, the state business, you know, which is what a lot of DIY bands do, right? Is there's like the. Right. A lot of bands just make their own label up once they're big enough and then they are their label. And then like, but like the way that works with 
just so people understand, like to use an example like Clutch or whatever. Right. They go to y'all. They go to an established label to get yeah. But like Clutch like has their own label now, but like they just have a distribution deal with Sony. Mm-hmm. That's what yep. a lot of these cats are doing. And and that distribution deal, because again, it's like because Sony isn't creating demand, they're just facilitating. Yeah, they're fulfilling a demand. Yeah. Yeah, they're just a warehouse at that point, which like, yep. yeah, I would want like the warehouse who knows what's up. That sounds right. You know, mm-hmm. cool. That was that was a good one. Is there anything else I should be asking you about? <laughs> so we can go on a 20 minute tangent. No, I, I think I think I'm all good. It was really good getting to know you and talk to you. 100%. Um, you know, even though we disagree on some stuff, of course, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. Here, let me uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast uh, and check out Apes of the State. Uh, on Instagram, TikTok especially, Spotify, and in the show notes. All right, so that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more, and above all, keep it heavy. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Weiland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.